So as always, thank you for joining me. Enjoy the podcast. Kick back and relax. The force is strong and is with us always. And never forget. We have hope. Rebellions are built on hope. of this moment the force is strong make ten men feel like a hundred I'll take the next chance and the next you're rebels aren't you You call it the Jesse James. Jesse, a.k.a. The Bizzle. Yo, The Bizzle, thank you. <laughs> the Bizzle? Thank you, The Bizzle. Yeah. The Bizzle. All right, ladies and gentlemen of the podcast, welcome back to an episode of Video Games with Ethan that is not officially part of the Awkward Controllers podcast because Austin is not here, but we still love to talk and wrap me and Ethan uh, together on these things as much as possible. And as usual, <clears throat> as usual, Ethan, we come up with the idea like we feel like doing these podcasts, and then we feel like we have no news, but then we do a little research and then we also think back about things like jason schreier's book we haven't talked about and we always end up with a bunch of stuff so how are you and are you are you excited to talk about some of these topics today yeah i'm i'm i'm, I'm great i'm super excited to talk there's always stuff to talk about here mm-hmm. we can we can always go back to i don't know 1980 and talk more you know what i mean like- so one of my goals i'm almost a podcast um 300 i mean numbering wise i haven't hit 200 but in terms of total podcast uploads when you include all my commentaries i've done close to 300 one of my goals is to talk somewhat less let my people talk more and not interrupt and stuff so i sent you a list of the major topics today and we kind of agreed about the order but why don't you introduce some of the major topics today and then we'll launch into them if, if you're cool with that yeah, sure. So, uh, according to our list here, so we're gonna we're gonna talk about um, the uh, two companies who have unveiled their plans for game streaming. Um, a basically the idea that you can stream a game to any device, no matter what it is. So and this is breaking news, play. by the way. So yeah. yeah. And so you can stream stream your stream any game to any device, so you can play it anywhere, regardless of the hardware that is streaming it. Um, uh, we get to talk about uh, Assassin's Creed because it mm-hmm. came out recently. It's got some good. It it, it it got good reviews, but there's some uh, nefarious stuff going on in there. Um, Schreier is related to that news, and we also get to talk about uh, the book that he released, Blood, Sweat, and Pixels, because we both read it and we both enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. Um, Jesse's been playing a lot of Stellaris, and I play a lot of Civ, so we just wanted to break down and talk about that a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, Shadow of the Tomb Raider also came out recently. Life is Strange recently came out, and Spider Man. We just wanted to talk about reviews for that, just like Assassin's Creed. Mm-hmm. Um, some other minor game releases, and then Red Dead Two is coming up, along with um the idea that Fortnite <laughs> might be decrowned uh, shortly here when Black Ops Four comes out tonight. Uh, so. Which, by the way, we were some of the only people a year ago saying the Fortnite bubble would burst eventually. I'm not patting ourselves on the back yet. We have to see how this plays out. But you and I yeah. had a sense that did, this, did, did, this is if, if Blackout is super. We'll, we'll, 
Uh, we can talk about this now if you want to actually no let's save it let's save it let's, let's save, save it, it. Okay, let's, sure. save, let's save sure. it let's save it but by uh, the way i do want to say <clears throat> initially when i was preparing this podcast and following sort of the train of thought uh train of discussion that we've had it's been very much shadow of tomb raider versus spider-man they released around the same time spider-man got better reviews although shadow actually got decently reviewed spider-man's being played by way more people we're seeing more streaming of it we're seeing more positive reviews overall but i actually want to talk about shadow tomb raider versus assassin's creed because this might be bizzle getting on my high horse a little bit about why assassin's creed keeps getting benefit of the doubt and people keep finding reasons to shit on things like tomb raider so there might be an interesting i think three-way discussion if you will between spider-man tomb raider and assassin's creed can we sort of wrap all that up together then we'll lead into the microtransaction jason trier thing which will then lead into his book which will then lead into talking strategy games and then some news does that sound okay Yeah, sure. All right. So first Um, news that literally just came out is that like almost on the same day, Xbox and Google both confirmed that they are working on major streaming services, streaming only services for video games. So Ethan, I have a two part question. I have a three part question. Let me ask one at a time. What would this even look like? Okay. Forget the fact that Google's not considered a game manufacturer really at the same level, Mm -hmm. but what would... The logistics, physics, electronics, you know, etc. look like for a streaming-only service, which, by the way, Nintendo and PlayStation, at least so far, don't seem to have interest in. Sure. So, um, actually, well, Nintendo does have some stakes over in Japan for streaming for the Switch, but that's besides the point. Um, But they also have Wi-Fi, like, literally every corner of Japan. Yeah. Besides the besides the point, like I was saying, um, it's it's not over here in industrial America, so we don't care. Um, <laughs> um, but um, so as far so for like for game streaming, um, game streaming came out a few years ago, and it was very early in the infancy stages, and it was you kind of had to have like a bunch of expensive technology to really get it to work. And the idea with game streaming is, like I was saying earlier, you can take any device and you connect it to the service and then play the game from where you are, assuming you can connect to an online service. And with with whatever hardware, you're going to get the same quality of game coming through because there's a computer somewhere that does have the hardware to render it. Uh Right? So imagine, um, imagine you... So this primarily points at people who can't afford expensive computers or mm-hmm. can't afford expensive consoles or whatnot. So I have a, I have a two thousand dollar PC essentially. Not everyone's going to want to drop two grand on a PC. Sure. So instead, things like uh, Nvidia, which has a game streaming service for PCs, for ten bucks a month, basically lets you stream any game that you that you own. Sometimes for some services like Nvidia, you have to buy the game. But then they let you stream their hardware for ten bucks a month, and then you have a max resolution, beautiful looking game. You mm-hmm. just don't have the hardware to render it, but Nvidia is handling that for you for ten bucks a month. Right? Interesting, interesting. Um, and so this is it. So th- this is this is a is this huge related step the to the rental uh, plan of the Xbox. Uh, not necessarily. So. This is this. This looks like it's more designed for people who, um, 
don't uh, or th- this is more specifically for PC gamers than it is for console gamers because with console gamers it Xbox wouldn't want you to buy two separate products that conflict with each other right why would you buy their console and then buy their streaming thing and then uh, not want to use the other right then you would then then there'd be a conflicting product issue um, so this is more designed for PC people uh-huh. and it'll it allow you to do anything and specifically with Google's device I can already look into it like Imagine having a Chromebook, right? right? A $200 computer, uh-huh. you pay for their service, and then you're just playing a game wherever you are, right? Uh-huh. Now, obviously, uh, the biggest drawbacks with this, um, really the biggest and the only drawback with the streaming service plans is that they are entirely reliant on how fast your connection is. Right. If your connection is not fast enough to keep up with the game, it, it, like your like things like reaction time, things like things that mm-hmm. basically re- reactions in general. Like if when you're when you're watching something in the game, mm-hmm. if you can't if you can't interact with the game seamlessly while it's being streamed, well then it ruins the experience, right? And like if you're if you're streaming Life is Strange to your phone, imagine it's not downloaded. Which I did. I streamed the entire first four hours in a single sitting of Life is Strange. We'll get there. If you stream the whole game to your phone, but you're playing the game, not watching it, all right, mm-hmm. and you have to do quick time events, but all of a sudden the, the feed cuts, or it's choppy, or you don't know what's going on, or it's a quick time, like a, a, a succession quick time event, or it's like one thing after the other you have to do quickly, and it's just ruining that experience for you, mm-hmm. like you may not be able to actually do it, and thus you can't play the game, mm-hmm. right? Imagine, imagine something even further, such as an FPS, right? right? You have to do things very quickly, very quickly, react very quickly, fighter, get fighting games really quick, really quick reactions. And so that's where this service kind of falls apart. But for single-player games, like Assassin's Creed Odyssey, which is what they're showing off for Google, like, it just makes total sense. You just buy, like, like it, what it comes down to is you, you plug in an Ethernet cable to your, to your laptop and you're streaming... Assassin's Creed Odyssey to your Chromebook, like that. That's a pretty good. That's a pretty good uh, uh, service, if you ask me. Mm-hmm. Uh, especially for people who don't have the money to drop, like I said, money on a very expensive computer, a gaming computer. Mm-hmm. So right. that, that's kind of what that that what's going on there. I mean, I think <clears throat> you know everything's been moving to streaming for ten or twenty years, depending on how you're counting it, and. <laughs> You know, movies, no one thought would ever end up there. TV shows, you know, they're all ending up there. And games are just the biggest, you know, and most un- unwieldy files. And so with the new right. Wi-Fi 6 protocol that's that's being announced, you know, doubling high speeds to 10 gigabits per second or whatever, this is very right. feasible. I think, again, it's the digital rights management that people are going to be annoyed about. And the fact that with the Nintendo Switch and the PlayStation, you can just lend your friends the physical cartridge don't you think there's going to be a place for that at least for a while or do you think the convenience is going to be so high and maybe even the price point comes down a little bit are the only things i can think of as to why so people would embrace so, this right so so th- th- there's definitely like this this half of the market is always going to be like this this is definitely going to become part of the gaming industry at some point here we we, we know that whether it becomes the uh, a big chunk of the industry or not i can't really tell you that's probably for the distant future rather than the current future right. but for right now mm-hmm. um 
and in, in, in the next five to ten years, there, the hard media, hard hard game media is still going to be king just for a long time because game stream media, it's just not because of the limitations of reactions, yeah. like reaction time with streaming, yeah. it's just not feasible, right? Right. Um, and so things like the Nintendo Switch with cartridges and you're passing cartridges over. Uh-huh. Uh, hard, if you have the having the hardware is always going to be superior than trying to stream it. Because it takes too much time. Mm-hmm. Um, like, um, the, the best way to think about it is is having a cable pass electrons, uh, electricity through it to do the tech to, to power the technology to pat to transfer data is always going to be faster than two devices trying to talk to each other to transmit the data. Sure. That's just that's always going to be true regardless of what reality with it is. It's just quantum physics. Right. At the end of the day, right. um, so having the hard media is always going to be superior, and thus neither one of these is going to take over the other. It's just hard media will always be grounded, and wire and streaming and wireless will always be right um, a, a niche or a specific use. So if you're someone who's moving on the go, if if you're a business guy on the go who's constantly moving, this makes a lot of sense because you don't have to buy some ridiculously expensive laptop that's still going to be inferior to a desktop at the end of the day right you could just pick this up buy it pay for the service yeah bada bing bada boom um, although i could argue with a 600 hundred dollar dollar gaming laptop and then buying cheap games on steam you, you could instantly start saving money over consoles right, or anything but what else if, but, but what if but what if you're someone like me who always likes those big new releases about mm-hmm. this time of year and wants to play that hot new stuff while i'm going on a business plane you know what oh, i mean i know you like the hot new stuff baby that's well, listen, listen jesse <laughs> <laughs> so I, I have a question about google and then we'll move on but i have one thing to say first which is there's a very specific reason we haven't heard about playstation and nintendo in this field so far and the reason is as i'm always saying necessity is the mother of invention and guess who is rolling in money right now? Nintendo and PlayStation. And right. let me give an Apple example, which is the invention of the iPod was like a 1,000% improvement over anything we had seen before, right? Mm-hmm. Then the invention of the iPhone as sort of iPod with a phone was maybe like a 100% improvement over what we'd seen before. But other than bigger and faster, the various levels of improvement of iPhones since 2008 until now has been incremental. And the reason is you don't fix what's not broke. And they've had some hang-ups. You know, they've had some problems with the iPhone, not blowing up like Samsung phones. But, you know, they've had some, some issues over the years, and they've tried to fix those issues. People really complained about the lack of headphone jack, but now everyone uses Bluetooth headphones, so who fucking cares? Um, but some of the mistakes they've had to fix, my point being, until PlayStation stops selling tons of hardware and software units, and same goes for Nintendo, I think they're doing a wait-and-see approach on this, and they don't really see a need to even do it. Would you agree with me on that? 
Yeah. Like, let me put. Let me just. Let me just say. Go ahead. There are definitely the sort of behind the scenes R and D geniuses at both of those companies who are constantly monitoring industry trends, who are keeping tabs on it. But in terms of the higher ups, with the amount of Spider Man copies and Uncharted copies and Zelda copies and Switches being sold and so forth, I, I don't think this is even a top ten to twenty priority for either of those companies. Just, no, I would concur. I, I would yeah. concur. And li- like I was saying earlier, like they, they do, Nintendo does have Switch game streaming. There's like one specific company over there that's doing like Resident Evil Seven streaming to the Switch and stuff. Like sure, that. but that's such a and tiny we're, we're, we're part. Ta- of- we're talking about like tiny niche stuff that's not standardized. Yeah. And so, uh, I, I think I think Microsoft is making a. Like, we, we we talked about this before, like what Microsoft can do. Sure. to like start start and like they're making a smart move they okay. are cutting they are using their technology end of things yeah specifically with computers to start to grab more of the market before uh, sony gets a step into it and that's really really smart because nintendo would never do that nintendo's barely touched computers they only just barely started touching phones mm-hmm. so it's um it, it's smart it's, it's really smart it's smart on them if uh, you can only hope that they're successful uh, and that they make a good product. Now, um, as someone who doesn't really keep up with the, cur- the, the current largest streaming service, which would be NVIDIA, NVIDIA's game streaming service, uh-huh. um, I I know it's successful. I know like the prerequisite of it is like, so basically you have to own the game that you want to stream and then you, you log in and they you log into their computer and then they, you stream it from their computer. And I understand it's pretty good uh, as a few friends of mine have, sh- have used the service. Sure. Um, so that Ethan, being said, it, yeah. it, it, like, like at the end of the day, these services aren't free and it's up to you whether you're going to pay $10 a month or you're going to just save money and buy the hardware. Okay. Here's my, so, here's my question. It's, it's, it's another one of those scenarios, like with the arcade cabinets, do you right. just keep spending quarters or do yeah. you buy a console? Right. So here's my question. What's Google doing? They don't make games. Playing Assassin's Creed in my Chrome browser? Is, is this... I mean, what... I, I totally understand what Microsoft's doing. They're throwing shit at the wall to try and catch up and innovate. I, I, what's Google offering? Like, what possible thing could Google offer in the near future that the other major companies couldn't offer? I, I don't... Even so this, this article a- has in Eurogamer has almost no details other than the name and a blog post that it's called Project Stream. This sounds like another failed Google project, and they've had plenty, I mean, so you tell me. The, and and I, to- I totally agree with that, but this isn't too uncommon for a third-party tech company that has nothing to do with the game industry taking a step in. I know. I'm saying why. What's going on? Needs. What games are they going to have access to? Well, clearly Assassin's Creed Odyssey, but that's one game um, that everyone else has access to as well, buddy. Well, right, but it's fairly new, and the fact that it's fairly new would imply okay, okay, that they're okay. going to have other new titles. Longer view: Are they going to start getting the PS4, Xbox, PC games, etc.? It, it looks like it. At least not not the ones that are exclusive to the Xbox, but it, common PC games through Steam, mm. uh, Battle.net, Origin, and um, you play, which are the four: Ubisoft, Blizzard, okay, Steam, and or okay. Valve, and okay, uh, EA. So, yeah, I mean, it, 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 they're, they're doing the same thing that Microsoft doing, which is it, it, this is pretty smart on Google in my opinion. Like, it, they have this cool laptop 
that runs off the web called a Chromebook that's relatively cheap. And if you give it a really good wireless card and you, you, you stream, you stream a video game. Like it, it makes a lot of sense to be honest with you. I just, if you're a gamer, why would you pay three hundred dollars for a Chromebook when you can pay a couple hundred more for like an actual computer that can do stuff? I, it, it, this probably isn't targeted at. But the people playing Assassin's Creed, uh, this isn't. This isn't like a look. If, if they were saying we're going to basically do slightly more advanced versions of what you play on your iPad, kind of thing, like basic RTS, you know, like mm-hmm. you know, what, at little at mini action RPG games, puzzle games, that I would understand. But with so many relatively cheap options to play Assassin's Creed in these games, in the big picture. Or, or, or like, if you have a six hundred dollar laptop, why don't you get Black Flag, you know, and some other games that came out a couple of years ago, Final Fantasy fifteen? I mean, literally for fifty bucks, you get four or five amazing games. Play on that laptop. I'm not seeing the audience here. This isn't just me being like I don't care about Microsoft and Google. This is me not seeing the end game. You are seeing it more than me. I'm not saying you're doing a bad job communicating it. I'm just not right. seeing it. Well, well the part part of the picture is Google taking a step into the game industry okay but the other the other part of it the other part of it is is like this makes sense for google because if you if you put it if you have the largest mobile uh web browser platform in the world which they do uh-huh. um you put this in front of everybody's face you're gonna find people who want to buy it uh-huh so okay okay um <clears throat> why don't we save uh announcements like red dead and black ops for the end because that's when we normally sure. do releases sure let's talk about the following games that have come out Actually, can i add can i add one thing real yes quick? of course um since we're since we're still on the topic of like new technologies and stuff like that um i just want to quickly go over this you don't have that comment or anything um razor phone 2 was unveiled last night super cool i'm excited razor phone 1 was a good success that shows that gaming phones are something that people want. I think that's way um, more something that people want than a Chromebook I, uh, is where well, I guess yeah. I'm getting to. Yeah, yeah. but um, but the, well, the the main reason I'm excited is because we had we know of trademark and blueprints for a phone adapted laptop uh, that Razer has trademarked, and the more phone iterations of the Razer phone there are, the more likely that's going to exist. And that'll be really cool because that could possibly be a huge new step for everything. Mm-hmm. So I would love. I who knows if it'll be for this phone, for the phone two, who knows if it's phone three. But mm. I would love to see like, like when that finally comes out. Like it's just it's going to change a lot. So I'm excited. Okay. Anyway, uh, that that's all I wanted to tag. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're yeah, talking sure. about some new tech. Sure. So. You know, the two big releases, uh, we'll save Assassin's Creed for one sec. Um, obviously Spider-Man, which is incredibly popular. Everyone's talking about, everyone seems to love it. Was an exclusive for the PS4. Has an 87 on Metacritic with an 8.8 user score. Both excellent. Um, Shadow of the Tomb Raider, uh, is between a 76 and an 83, you probably know this. Of all the systems, which do you think gets the highest Shadow of the Tomb Raider rating? Probably PS4. Xbox or One. Or, uh, yeah. Okay, yeah. They're saying it's running best on Xbox One, which is really Xbox One X, yeah. Xbox sense. One X, yeah. Um, 
Now, while the, the critic score is around 80, the user scores are closer to 7.1, 7.2, 7. 7.4, which, by that, the way, is still very good. That's not too unusual. Good. That's still that's very good. That's not too unusual for Metacritic games. Yeah, Metacritic and let's be games, honest. They always, they always yeah. score. You're, you're always going to have the, the profesh, quote, unquote, professional ratings, yeah. which are always like yeah. somewhere from one point to point five points above the user rating. It's very rare that you find the user rating... Um, close if not above yeah. the professional rating now, let's be honest just like we talk about the force awakens got the nostalgia bump you know when it right. came out you know it's flawed spider-man's getting a nostalgia bump at an 8.8 among users i'm right. sorry i'm not but, saying but it's also yeah. no i i agree with you there's probably it probably has something going on with the same like the legend of zelda breath of the wild effect where everyone agreed it was just a massive success just yes. like spider-man everyone agrees it's a massive success but there's also i don't think like, it's anywhere part, near as good but yeah go ahead well but i wasn't comparing the two games to each other i was comparing the scores but it, like the, the idea of the scores but there, there is something to say about like the fact that if the user audience and listen i'll say this over and over again and you may not necessarily agree because metacritic is terrible for books and movies but for games metacritic is the best place on the internet for video game reviews period it just, it just is there's no other there's no better place and well, i'm not sure whether that's yeah. mediocrity or whether that's yeah that's uh that's because it really no, does that job the, but the problem with metacritic for for film is the same problem with goodreads for books which is that any decent book on Goodread at a five gets between a three point seven five and a four point two. There's just too many ratings, and so it always comes to the middle. Okay. And so you have the random brilliant movie like Birdman, which has like a ninety nine, or Gravity, which has like a ninety seven on Metacritic. But for the most part, most decent movies score anywhere from like a sixty to a seventy three, and it's just because there's so many reviews. And, Met- and Metacritic, unlike Rotten Tomato, which is thumbs up, thumbs down, has a pretty complex scoring system, but it's almost so complex that, you know what I mean? Everything kind of comes to the middle. Um, right. I, but I don't know why it works for video games. But Ethan, here's a question for you. So, obviously, Spider-Man's only on the PS4, so it was re- reviewed by a certain number of PS4 players. Um, and the they count the reviews for each of the three systems for Tomb Raider separately in terms of how many users. So, mm-hmm. which is one of the weird things about Metacritic, but yeah, it does and doesn't work. It's weird. So let's let's make the giant assumption, which is probably not true, because I think it's actually inflated towards Spider Man. But let's make the assumption that the pro- that the proportion of reviews of Spider Man to the proportion of reviews total for Tomb Raider reflects the sales proportion. Meaning, if 10,000 people voted for Spider-Man and 3,000 people voted for Shadow of the Tomb Raider, then more than three times as many people bought Spider-Man. Does that make sense? So, like... So let, let let's say let's 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 go even more direct. Let's say ten million people vote on Spider Man and three million people vote on Tomb Raider, and you're forced to vote. So we know that there are ten million copies of Spider Man, three million copies of Tomb Raider. So what I'm asking you is, based on the number of total reviews for these two games, we know Spider Man has more. My question to you is, if you had to guess. And I'll give you Spider-Man, and you can give me Tomb Raider. There's almost 2,200 user ratings for Spider-Man. 
on Metacritic. So if there's 2,200 ratings, if you combine all of the ratings for Shadow of the Tomb Raider, how many roughly would you guess there are? I want to say around 1,000. 863. It's a pretty good guess. Okay. So that's less than three times. So I, I'm not saying Shadow of the Tomb Raider... Uh, I'm sorry. I'm not saying uh, Spider-Man has, quote-unquote, only sold two and a half times more c- copies than Shadow of the Tomb Raider, but I also wouldn't be shocked. Um, and, and I'm wondering what you're feeling on this because it's so impossible to get sales numbers in the video game industry. If you have any, because even though people had c- complaints about Tomb Raider, most people liked it. It mostly gets great as well. It seems to be selling well. Let me just ask you the general question. Would it shock you if Spider-Man has only sold two and a half to three times more copies than Tomb Raider? Not in the slightest. Why is that? Uh, because like Breath of the Wild, the lead up to Spider-Man was basically just the, the, the feeling with this game, but with that game in particular was this will be a success and it ended up being one. And when you have that feeling of this game will be a success translating into the game being a success, uh-huh. it generally ends up being really positive for reviews. It just does. Uh, and so what happens is you have this cascade effect where you had the people who bought the game and, and they basically say, yo, this is like this is like the real the Spider-Man that we all know and love. And it's super fun and awesome. And blah, 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 blah. And it's just it's just all positivity rather than all mixed. Uh, like I like this game, uh, you might like it. Why don't you try it out or something huh. like that? It's more of this game is just good. There's no this game is bad. It's just good, 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 good. And there's no criticism, right? Uh-huh. And so that leads to a lot more sales just coming out of launch, and then people just like it. Interesting. It's a it's a steamroll effect, and it only happens for very specific games. Uh-huh. It happened for Zelda. It, it's gonna. It happened for Spider Man. It. Um, what's the third one I just thought of? Um, I missed it, but it. Uh, Overwatch. It happened for Overwatch. Uh-huh. Like there are very specific games that it happens for, and when it when it works, it just works. Mm-hmm. Um, that's it. We've seen that trend for years now. Um. Yeah, that, that, that's kind of answered the question. Yeah. So, with an eight point eight of all the major games to come out this year, okay, user scores again, not critic scores. Well, let me ask you this first: critic scores. So, among critic scores, Spider-Man's actually twelfth, tied with Dragon Ball and Sonic Mania for the year. Okay. Now, there's a couple games here that I know nothing about, like Celeste or indie games like Owlboy or games like Dead Cell that had a weird release. So I'm not going to ask you to name all of these. Can you name these six to eight games that are AAA games that rated higher than Spider-Man's 87 on Metacritic for 2018? I'm very curious. I can think of one off the top of my head, and it's... Um, God of War. God of War is number one with 94. Yeah. Um, There's one, two... Can you give me a hint whether they're Nintendo or Sony games? Uh, I don't even know for some of these. Hold on, let me just look. You can tell by the box art. 
No, no, because I'm just looking at the straight up list right now. Okay. Um. Okay. So. Uh. All right. One is on two. Two are on all the systems. One is a remake of a PS2 game that's only on PS4. Um, I can't tell you to be honest with you. Dead Cells has an 88 um, meta, uh, Metacritic score, although it okay. didn't get nearly as many reviews. Monster Hunter World has a 90. I thought I got an 81. I don't know why I thought that. 7.8 among fans, 90 on Metascore. And by the way, 1,300 ratings, so more people are playing Monster Hunter, at least so far, than Shadow Tomb Raider, which is interesting. Yeah. And the other one is Shadow the Colossus. Re- remake. Okay. But hmm. that's about it. There's one more. There's one more game. It's number two. God of War is a 94. This is a 92. Is it Divinity? It's Divinity Original Sin 2. Yes. That's it. I mean, that's pretty good company. It's right with Sonic Mania. It's just above Dragon Quest and Dark Souls. I mean, Yakuza, Valkyrie Chronicles. I mean, it's been a great year. Oh, 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 Shadow of the Colossus. Yeah, I I said Shadow of the Colossus. Oh, you did? Yeah. I must have missed it. I'm sorry. That's okay. (laughs) That's totally okay. So, here's my question, ma'am. When you add Assassin's Creed's spotty record, by the way, it has a 5.2 user score on Metacritic right now, which puts it below the following games. It puts it below Injustice 2, Owlboy, Street Fighter V, Dark Souls Remastered, which apparently people don't like. Uh, no, people don't like it at all. Yeah. Um, well, they don't like the online. It puts it below Destiny, Forsaken, No Offense. It puts it below Life is Strange no, 2. No all I'm going to say is Life is Strange 2 Episode 1. Very disappointing. But considering they do, you know, five episode arcs, I'm, I'm willing to uh, to stick with it. Um, but people did not like, like the first episode as a 6.3. Uh it's above 2K19, which has a 2.3, which is amazing. Not surprising. Yeah, uh, it's above. It's below five, Far Cry 5. It's below NHL 19. Basically, Assassin's Creed Odyssey is yet another case of the industry slobbering all over a AAA game from Ubisoft and the users being hip to it. So, Ethan, I'm going to throw it to you. You know more about this than me. You know I'm always rooting for this series because I love 2 and I like some things about Black Flag, but I can't help but think that every step forward they take 3 back. So I want you to argue, if you feel comfortable... Argue one reason why this deserves a good score, one reason why this does not deserve a good score, and then we'll launch into the Schreier discussion about Assassin's Creed Odyssey. So go ahead. They take everything from Origins and improve on it. Wait, is this good or bad? Is this the good or the bad one? This is the good. This is okay. the good. Okay, good. Yeah, they, 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 improve, they, improve, they improve on the things that were not liked from... Can you give a um, few examples? The main example, as I understand it, is you're not someone from ancient Egypt in mm-hmm. boring Bronze Age. You're in Greece 
doing Sparta kicks. Um, that's what that that's the like the, the whole thematical approach is what I understand is like one of the big things. It's also less uh, it, the, the the side missions are more engaging, as I understand, which are the two which is like the two biggest things. I I, I don't I haven't. I haven't played either of the games, so it's hard for me to really relate and like say like give a full review or whatnot. Um, for what I understand, those are like the two biggest things. Um, the downsides. Um, they promised us they would never do microtransactions or multiplayer again, and they lied. They lied. They lied. So, so the microtransactions, but particularly one microtransaction in particular, which we'll get into. Um, is is at the big heat of the debate, and as you are not a fan of them, Jesse, there Ubisoft has not mastered the idea of open worlds yet. Um, as there are, as they are quite laughably at Bethesda level books. Understands what makes open world great. The difference right. is, well, and, 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 and so to be honest with you, like, but it's not a bad open world game. The, the open world was not the problem. No, but uh, what made yeah. Assassin's Creed 2 great was that they didn't try and make it a full open world game. Like, you could mm-hmm. buy a manor off the site of the main cities, you could ride a horse around, but ultimately, you're in three, four, five cities in one major city. Just like I always talk about Dragon Age 1 and Mass Effect 2, the non-full open world actually makes it a more immersive and interesting experience. And I don't know. I mean, either, what has my main <clears throat> philosophy been this entire time? When you look at Zelda, when you look at Horizon, and you look at Witcher, was Witcher 1 or 2 a op- full open world game? Answer me that. Uh, no, they were not. I don't. They were not full open. They were semi open. Nope. They were semi open. They were not full open world games. Other now, you've you've said that you know there's elements of uh, uh, um, Zelda. Um, uh, fuck. What's the 3D Zelda? The Ocarina of Time. That you know, there's some elements, but it's still not a full open world game. And Horizon was definitely not supposed to be an open world game. It was supposed to be an expanded kill zone, but with the new universe. And in all three cases, they organically came to the realization that those three games, Witcher, Horizon, and Zelda, would be better as an open world game. What I keep seeing from Ubisoft, and forget Bethesda, because they do know what they're doing other than the bugs, when I keep seeing from Ubisoft, Far Cry, Assassin's Creed is, let's make an open world game and hope that we can populate it, and then we'll put enough multi, you know, microtransactions and explosions in there to make people forget that this is a bunch of bullshit. And I think that's the wrong way to go. Thoughts? I, I disagree to a far extent because it is a good open world game. It is. It really is. What is? The Assassin's Creed Odyssey. It's Not according to the 5.2 on fucking uh, Metacritic. From what I have seen, again, I, I I have not played the game. From what I've seen and understand of the game, it is a good overall game. You haven't played the game either. You're just going off a Metacritic score. Okay. And I'm 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 not defend I'm not defending the game. I'm just point I'm just pointing that out. That's all. Mm-hmm. Now, now, the 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 problem with the game. As a whole, and this is this is where Ubisoft needs to change its attitude, because th- 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 this is this is the real problem for me, for many people, for 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 and as a general discussion for the industry, which is 
Ubisoft is stuck in a it's stuck in a very weird place. They're they stuck in stuck. a morass of shittiness, just like DC right. Comics. Go ahead. R- right, 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 and and edginess. Um, <laughs> um, f- faux edginess. Like somehow <laughs> Batman and pun- pun- Batman punching Superman for three minutes makes me ed- <laughs> makes it edgy. Give me a fucking break. Sorry, guys. Um. <laughs> so th- th- he- here's here here is the crux of the problem. Okay, mm-hmm. I will say it over and over and over again until either either the world blows up or till the industry fixes itself through legislation or through self reform. You do not give your players an option to buy progress, whether it's a single player game, yeah. multiplayer game, co op game, puzzle game, Life is Strange. It, it, it doesn't matter. It does. It does not matter. You do not, under any circumstances, give your players an option whether it it is totally player choice or not mm-hmm. to pay for progress. Period. Period. Yeah. Period. It, 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 you just don't. Because here's what happens. Here's what happens. Okay. The the the, the, the item in question we're talking about is. In Assassin's Creed Odyssey, a sixty-dollar AAA developed game mm-hmm. offers you a a fifty percent permanent XP boost for your account uh, on, on all characters for, forever for the game, whatever. But fifty percent bonus XP forever for ten bucks, which in an open world game that is a grindy it's a grindy game first of all people need to get over themselves when they use grindy as a term to describe something for video games it's not a bad term if the game is grindy it's long it's extensive it's grindy that's how it works that's part of the video game okay that's how people like the steep progress of a game okay so if you don't like grindy games don't buy grindy games but when you when basically ubisoft has made a grindy game okay that you can pay ten dollars for for the people who don't have as much time on their hands to speed up their progress through the game. So basically, what happens is, if you just want to play the main story for Assassin's Creed Odyssey, you pay ten bucks. You don't have to play any side missions mm-hmm. to get through the main story. And then when that person's done, they can drop it. And then in four weeks, when Red Dead 2 comes out, they'll be able to play Red Dead 2. That's basically the scheme here. The scheme here is they know that they their audience wants to complete the game before other games come out in this tough season, so they're going to try to get people to... They're going to dangle this thing in front of you that costs $10, so you try to buy it. That's the scheme here. And as a design conflict, you don't give... You don't make a game that's grindy and then offer people... 10 bucks to pay for it. I don't care what the, the social norms over in Korea are. I understand that's normal over there, but it's not normal here. So take it out of the freaking game. Okay? You don't, as a I don't care if you're a publisher and you want to make more money. Stuff like this is why Assassin's Creed Odyssey would not get an A. Mm-hmm. Because this is in the game. This, this sole purpose is why people would not buy this game. Mm-hmm. And as a publisher, I understand you're going to outsell the people who won't buy the game by selling this product in the first place, but it just doesn't do good for you. It doesn't do good for your product. And I have to wonder like, what the sales numbers are on the inside and be like, mm-hmm. is this worth it or not? Because you and I both love old school JRPGs, grinding is not a dirty word, but 
remember we did the RPG podcast with Austin a few <clears throat> weeks or months mm-hmm. ago, and we talked about what made a great RPG, and he brought up, well, we all brought up, but he initially brought up the notion of progression, mm-hmm. and I think there is a difference between what we think of as gaining experience and progression and grinding. Now, when I play Chrono Trigger or Dragon Quest on my old DS, which still works beautifully, by the way, God bless it, um, I want to grind. I want as many hours as possible. When I'm playing Fire Emblem Awakening, I want to grind, right? That's the experience. But when I'm playing... Uh, uh, of the couple hours I've played of Zelda, of the couple hours I've played of Witcher, of the million hours I've played of Horizon, and even of the 50 hours I played of Andromeda, I never felt like I was going around killing bad guys for no reason other than to level up. Were some of the missions fetch quests that were kind of annoying? Sure. But I also, I always felt like I was finding new things and that things were well populated. I'm not saying this isn't the case with Odyssey, but can I just read you a headline here real quick? Let me read you you a real quick headline. Real quick headline. Senior video games contributor to Forbes magazine. Assassin's Creed Odyssey's microtransactions. Predatory or pointless? And his point is, even with the microtransactions, it makes the gameplay even worse, and designing it around it, just like with Star Wars Battlefront initially, even if you want to grind, it's you know in the back of your mind that you're grinding because you don't want to pay for it, and that ruins the whole experience, is my interpretation. Right, right, and... and, and that, as, as opposed to Dragon Quest or the old school games where we specifically want 100 hours of grinding for, you know what I mean? There's a difference. Yeah. 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 I, I'm, I, listen, listen. And, and this, is, this is where we can start to talk about Treyer a little bit. Yeah, go but, but, and so, so what he makes the comparison is, is, is that this game is just like The Witcher in the sense that it's got a total rich story, it's got fun combat, it's got an open world to explore, it's got um, it's got a ton of side quests that it leads you on before you go to the next area, so you're exploring more of the story, and blah, 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 blah. Schreier's not wrong, it's just the thing that he neglects is that there is, the Ubisoft, Papa Ubisoft is standing in front of you the whole time with this thing in front of you that says, pay me $10 and you can get through this faster. And that that is where that that is where it, 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 like I was saying, it's a design conflict. You don't create something that is grindy to then give players the option to make it not grindy. It's just, it's just not it's not how it works on a design level, mm-hmm. on a on a on a consumer level. It just it just doesn't. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't work. Okay, and it's there. It's there so Ubisoft can make more money. Obviously, yeah. Um. Okay. Right. But it, it's it, it, it and and so and so, I guess we can talk about Schreier now because we, we, well, me me, and you let me were just ask you this. Let me just we're ask you this. With, but, yeah. Because the last two major releases, Black Flag and Origins, people liked pretty well, um, and they didn't need this bullshit. So on the scale of insecurity on one end that they have a good game to pure greed on the other end, where does this rank for you based on initial impressions and reading about this? And then we'll lead into Schreier. This falls into pure greed because they know they they can make money off of people. Mm-hmm. They, they, they just, just, that's just how it is. So do you think this says something about the Assassin's Creed audience, that they're not us? <laughs> 
that they're more casual gamers who I have am. more money I- but aren't so serious and they'll pay for it. They don't even realize what they're paying no. for because that's what I'm seeing. No, no, no. I, I, I think this is a this is a very well thought out scheme by a by the marketing group at Ubisoft who said, "Hey, we can make more money because we're making this open world game that's going to come out a month before Red Dead, and we know that everyone's going to jump ship the Red Dead, so we might as well put money, make more money off of people who want to complete the game sooner." Okay. Okay. I, I, I think that's where that falls, and and the other games that are coming out, obviously. Yeah. Um, okay. But it like, like but. It, seriously i am super surprised that ubisoft thought that they could pull this after battlefront 2 Uh and the fact that like you just said that it has metacritic scores in the 5.7 proves that that is not the case that people are tired of tolerating this shit Mm -hmm. yeah so yeah, so, okay, so, so where's the so Jason Schreier connection here? U- Ubisoft, number one takeaway, don't do this next time. <laughs> Maybe you'll have an A game next time. Clearly. Anyway, um, so so the thing with Schreier is that... And by the way, just, he, I, I sometimes, Ethan, neglect to think that people are listening to us for the first time. Just tell us a little bit about Jason Schreier, why we like him so much, and, and okay. we'll talk I, more about the book later, and then you can talk about the I, story. Super duper 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 restrictor Jason Schreier. Jason Schreier is one of the gaming world's leading journalists because he frequently publishes stories that are super informative about the inside of gaming um, gaming game developers because freak, uh, all game developers basically have their employees sign NDAs and anybody who walks in sign NDAs, so you can't really like talk about what's going on on the inside and you don't know about the game development cycles and whatnot and uh as his book basically tells you like basically every game has a shitty game development cycle sure uh because people people are frequently overworked uh things don't get done things are uh, features that are that you spend a lot of time developing aren't actually fun so you have to restart your work cycle and then you gotta rush things and it's a it's a hellhole and as he says in the book like it's a miracle any game, like the quote, any miracle, it's a miracle any game gets finished. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, which, which is true. Like, yeah. the fact that any game gets finished is pretty, pretty remarkable. Um, so, what he was saying about Assassin's Creed, honestly, is that it basically he went on a tirade on, on Twitter about basically YouTubers calling this XP booster for Assassin's Creed Odyssey predatory and how this is that this microtransaction system is not predatory and it's not a quote-unquote cancer on the industry because it's not gacha games on mobile phones that right. basically make you or fifa or nba that make you pay a thousand dollars for characters out of sports packs and stuff like that right um and Jason's not wrong when he's comparing, like, obviously that this one $10 microtransaction is so, is like a, is like a chihuahua in comparison to a greyhound, right? Like, obviously. But the problem here is not, is, is not the fact whether you're spending $10 or $1,000. The problem here is that the way Ubisoft has it set up is that it will prey upon people who do not want to play a grindy game who love the Assassin's Creed series. So play a different that, game. That's how There's they a million single-player games with what, none of what, this. Play a different what, game. Je- Jesse, 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 Jesse. 
I am me and you are not every gamer. Okay. No, but I agree. I agree with Schreier. If you don't want to deal with this, there's a thousand great single player games that are open world, like Witcher and so forth. You don't need to do this. So it's only predatory for kids. If you can't control yourself for gambling, these are the same people that go to strip clubs and spend $5,000 or go to Vegas and spend a million dollars. Like, I'm starting to come to Schreier's side on this. It's only predatory for kids. But but he, but here's the thing. Okay. And, and, but here's the thing at the end of the day. like What's the thing? I eat me who is a super a super nerd about game design all right and like i like i said twice now it, you don't create a grindy game to then dangle a ten dollar xp booster in front of everyone's faces oh you, you mean just, like destiny oh, 2 which you're obsessed with and have spent literally hundreds of dollars on give me a break jesse 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 mm-hmm. jesse i'm here making two i'm here buddy now. i'm here for you're you making, you're making two different arguments now I'm not. I'm not. Arguments. Destiny 2 is not predatory for you because you specifically know what you're paying for. You want to pay for it. You're getting a great experience But I'm out not of it. buying power. Okay. I'm not buying power. Okay. Destiny 2 has never once sold me power. Uh-huh. Destiny 1 has never once sold me power. Destiny has always sold me an MMO experience that has been overpriced and not a price for everybody. And a game, a game that is not fun for everybody, but is fun for me. That's what Destiny has always sold me. Destiny has never once sold me power. You know what? You, you want to know the games that sell me power? Mm-hmm. All of the Call of Duties. Yeah. Assassin's Creed. Get to. Let me read. So, etc. Et et and so, and so, in any in any scenario, mm-hmm. buying power, especially in this game in particular, yeah. is just not okay. Regardless. I, look, I'm, I'm going to argue that side. I'm reading. I'm looking at the long interview. I'm going to re- listen to the podcast, obviously, <clears throat> between him and and his couple buddies, Kirk and Steven and so forth. And Kirk right. is very against this whole thing. Kirk has a great point. He says, look, the base game is $60, is gigantic and full of shit, uh, full of amazing, sh- amazing shit. This is Assassin's Creed Odyssey. As far as I'm concerned, it's a great game. You can just play the version of the game, not pre-order it, not get any of the microtransactions. You get a ton of good stuff. And actually, if you buy whatever $80 of microtransactions and you pre-order the $100 version of the game, the extra, say, $60, $80 worth of stuff you get is vastly inferior to the stuff you get in the base game. So this is an argument both for and against microtransactions. It's an argument f- against it because it's saying you get plenty of stuff in the base game, but it's an argument for it in that if you want little tiny upgrades here or there and you have the disposable income, then pay $7.50 for a fucking horse skin, as he says. Go ahead. And, 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 and who, who was that who, who was that quote? Uh, that was by, um, by Kirk, who I think is his number... Kirk is the number two guy on the, the, the podcast they do. It's Kirk and Jason. Right. Yeah. Right. And, and, and I, I agree. I, and I was going to get to this. Like, I agree with Kirk. It's a double-sided argument because yeah. you, could look, you could look at that at either side and argue either side, and you wouldn't be wrong necessarily. Sure. Okay? Because if you argue it from the – it shouldn't be there in the first place example. Right. It, you you – it shouldn't be there because it's a grindy open world game. Mm-hmm. Why are why are you putting something that takes away the grind and the whole point that is the game is designed to be a grindy? 
extensive not, experience. Assassin's Creed that, is not a JRPG. It's not a Skyrim. It's not even a Witcher. That's the, the the original mission statement of the old Assassin's Creed games was that it has open world elements, but it also has a tight story and and more concentrated action. If but Assassin's Creed Origins and Assassin's Creed Odyssey are nowhere near the other two the, the the original games are they but the fact that they're getting increasingly poor now. ratings from fans tells me that like far cry assassin's creed is for the more casual players but unlike destiny 2 where you guys are so not invested but so smart and you understand that how it works this is not for destiny 2 players this is for more casual players and they're either not going to understand what's going on it's going to piss them off and they don't want to grind 50 60 hours which is what these guys on kotaku are saying they have to grind to get fully leveled when they would prefer to do 20 i mean assassin's creed Creed is supposed to be a 20, in my opinion, the old school good Assassin's Creed games, like the old school good Dragon Age games, like Uncharted 4 and so forth, 20 to 30 hours. That should be what it is. 50 hours plus microtransaction is too much for the casual player, is my final thought on this. You're welcome to keep talking, but I, I, okay, I've sure. spoken my piece. Sure, sure, that, that, that's fair. But I, I understand that that's what you, that, that's what you think this game should be. However... This game is an extensive open world game that has a lot of side quests and a leveling system that is grindy to level up through. Thus, if you don't buy the XP booster, you have to do side quests to go through the to continue through the main story so you can quote unquote complete the game. Okay, we good? We good? Yes. If, if if I knew that no, I, I could I pay my way, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. I'm pulling a bizzle. I get to do this once per podcast. I'm pulling a bizzle. If I knew I could pay my way through Horizon or Witcher, I would never play those games, or I'd have way less fun. So that's that's my point. Go ahead. Okay, okay, that that that's fair. But I'm I'm uh, here's my point. Here's my point. Okay, the game. Is this it, the game? Is uh, how many hours is this? This is what forty hours. Is a forty-hour game. They're saying it took fifty hours of grinding to get to where okay, they needed to be. Fifty hours. This is a fifty-hour game. That's how the game is made. That's how the game was made. The game was made to be fifty hours without the XP booster. Okay, so because they took because they said here they don't they dangled it in front of you and said you could pay ten dollars to make this easier. That's not okay because they they, it's again a design conflict. It's a design conflict for the consumer, and that's why people are disliking the hell out of this. Good. It's I hope this fails. I hope this game fails miserably. I agree. Okay. I agree a hundred percent. Then again, you could argue it from the other side, like you were saying earlier, where the the game has plenty of content. Just don't buy it. Mm -hmm. Don't worry about it. But the fact that the fact that they dangle this in front of you and say you can buy it and make it easier is the reason why this doesn't feel as good. If Witcher Three dangled an XP booster of the same thing in front of me at any given point in time, mm-hmm. I would not want to play it either. And it would n- it, w- it would probably receive a similar uh, reaction to ACOS. Maybe not the same because it's it's, it, mm-hmm. it's pre and post Battlefront Two. But I mean, I, I know people who beat. Uh, Horizon with the expansion in about 50 to 60 hours. I spent twice that much time, but I wanted to spend that extra time. Like, 
I want mm-hmm. I, I, I want to be in a situation where I spend twice the amount of time as opposed to half the amount of time. Like I don't want to play a game where I'm playing fifty hours and there's still more to do. Like with Mass Effect Andromeda, I was ready to get to the end game with Mass Effect Andromeda. Ultimately, I was fine stopping because I was nowhere near the end game. I wish it was shorter. Horizon, I love how long it is. Witcher, I'm excited for the length. Zelda, if and when, I'm definitely going to play at some point. I expect to play a very long time. Playing Assassin's Creed, I feel like I'm going to get to 30 hours and be like, okay, I'm ready for this to wrap up and I just have a ton more to do. And again, I think open world games, A, appeal more to hardcore players. But B, the average players who play open world games like Grand Theft Auto only can afford the money and time to do a few of these a year. And I don't think that Assassin's Creed Odyssey is offering enough to be that game. I think it is. But the, 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 big, the bigger problem that, that we need to just say here, and what, what the, the hard line is just don't do this again. But the, 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 the biggest problem is, is that people walked into this not knowing that this was going to be the case. Okay. That it was going to be 50 hours or 20 hours and you could pay 10 bucks to make it either or. That's the that, that that's the issue. Mm. And that's not something that is done over here in America. It's just not. So, okay. I um, I, I, I I think we've beaten this dead horse. No, yeah, we have. I think, we have. I think, and here's the, here's the thing, man, <clears throat> is uh I, I like that we we were not doing 3-hour podcasts. And I really want to devote an entire book review, like, because I have the book review series to Schreier. Um, sure. And so I'd like to do a Bizzlecast book club number three, specifically about Schreier. So sure. what I'm going to propose is the following. You tease the Schreier book, sort of what it's about and some of the games. Then we're going to do a little bit on Stellaris and Civ, and then we'll, you'll finish with news and game announcements, and we'll save the full Schreier book review. So Blood, Sweat, and Pixels, very well received. It's short. It's great. Very well written. Schreier's great. Tease a little bit what it's about and some of the games, and then we'll do a couple news stories, and we'll, we'll close this baby up. Go ahead. Sure. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, Blood, Sweat, and Pixels was fantastic i loved it i loved every second of it fan um, fucking tastic or just fantastic uh let's go with fan fucking tastic <laughs> was that an l nelson reference or not i don't know sure let's go with sure yeah <laughs> sonic tuesday <laughs> sonic, um, sonic tuesday. <laughs> um that's good. Uh, but just, just, just all the stories in there, I really enjoyed. Even stuff like I never even like thought of or heard of before. Stuff like the Pills of Eternity. Mm-hmm. I had no idea what Pills of Eternity going into uh, the book was, but I still loved that whole story. I never cared for Age of Empires, but I really cared for like their development team and stuff like that. You, you would love this- Pillars of Eternity because it combines JRPG expansiveness decision making like we see in bioware and the witcher old school D games like baldur's gate it's like it looks because of the three quarters isometric you know it looks like starcraft or league of legend like there's um, uh, uh, there's almost nothing you wouldn't like about pillars of eternity i'm sure I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm sure i would yeah um but just just all the the 10 stories in there were just fantastic mm-hmm. and they all they all pulled at your heart a little bit um yeah and uh it, like, like just just the whole book just telling you like giving you especially if you've never if you don't know a ton about game design mm-hmm. if you don't know a ton about like what this industry is like 
this gives you a really good idea about what the inning what the inner workings of the industry is like and how much like game designers like pour their heart and soul into the work we do just so that we can argue about a dumb ten dollar microtransaction system yeah and and it, (laughs) and it nails the two major things we always talk about which is the name of the game is the game and you can have the best possible idea the best possible team the best possible execution and still have it go to shit and so that will be really fun to talk about so um all right man so let's talk stellaris and civ really quickly have you been playing a lot of civ 6 still where are you at with that game i i I played a bunch of it i played the rise and fall i bought rise and fall i gave in it was on sale it was like nine dollars off so i bought it um that's fun that adds a ton of new depth to civ 6 which it desperately needed um so that's cool um let's see uh i played a bunch of it leading up to the forsaken destiny 2 forsaken content drop uh because i was out of stuff to do Mm -hmm. and uh i was playing that for a little bit and uh i haven't played it since because destiny 2 forsaken has consumed my entire life Mm -hmm. um uh yeah i mean like, i i still like it i still love it um the thing with like, a lot of people are always like why don't you ever play civ 5 and it's like civ, civ i played civ 5 when it first came out and if you know anything about civ 5 when it first came out um it was a flaming hot piece of garbage it that's got true but since it was of, it, it patched well, fully it's considered well, well, maybe the, the, the best the, of the, game brave brave, brave brave new world is consider like basically makes the game like super awesome and it's one of the highest played games i've only played it after that so right right like so i it's partly it's just i love i started with civ 3 i've always loved civ 3 i just played civ 3 because it's what i knew and then once i started to branch out into more strategy as i got older civ 6 was out so i played civ 6 oh well sorry civ beyond earth was out so i played civ beyond earth because it was super cheap then I played Civ Six. So the thing I, I, that's confusing to me about Civ Six is some people think it's the easiest, not easiest. Some people think it's the most accessible and user friendly of the Civ games, and some people think the opposite of it. Where, where do you stand on on this debate, and and why? As someone who came from Civ Three, um, it is it, so it's more complicated. So following in civ 5 fashion right what's more complicated what's less complicated is what i'm asking so what's for. more complicated is there's a lot more like terminology and micromanaging on a different level than older civs there's also a lot civ of five. really 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 creepy looking people in it <laughs> besides that besides that um there, it's a different type of micromanagement so before in older Civ games, you had unit stacking, yeah. and you had to constantly worry about like how many units are on what squares, right? Mm-hmm. Now that it's on a hexagon system, right. you have to worry about different angles, but at the same time, you never have more than one unit, uh, like a combat unit and a utility unit, but never two combat units on this, or two utility mm-hmm. units on the same square. Mm-hmm. So there, there's, le- there's less to do on a per-tile Yes. Uh, Per, per tile basis, but there's a yeah. lot more to do as per a stat basis. Okay, because Let's, because yeah, it, just just as an example. Sure. Okay, in Civ three is the only example I can think of. I'm sorry. In like Civ three, you had culture, science, um, resources, luxuries, and happiness. 
right? Mm-hmm. And, 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 and like culture was affected by culture borders and stuff like that. So there's all these like integrated systems. But now you have faith, culture, science, happiness. So resources. many paths to victory, which makes it way more interesting. And Stellaris is trying to do the same right. thing. Go ahead. Right. Yeah. You, you, you have a split, like half of the tech trees are split into a culture tree. So you can, so culture is half science, half culture. Mm-hmm. And, and faith is. Faith has a totally different layer to things. Like it, there's a lot more resources and other city management to yeah. do. So rather than yes, okay. Management. So let's talk about city management because I can relate to the big changes coming to Stellaris, and then we'll wrap up with a couple news stories. Which is one of the things that I almost forgot was the not the case in the old Civ games until I started playing Civ Six and then played Civ Five is that. In, in all the older Civ games, the city management takes place in the city. But right. the Civ 6 model is way more realistic, which is one square will be your capital, but then all your improvements and wonders and buildings take place in the sort of cosmopolitan area, which is how the real world works and right. is way more interesting. And by the way, you have to plan your settlement so much more carefully in Civ 6 because right. of what resources are available. Are you near a river? Are you near water? Can you build a fleet? Are you going to have enough you- can you build a harbor? Can, can yes. you build a harbor at all? Yes. Will you be able to build a harbor at some point in the future? Can you even can, can you even build an encampment here? Yes. Near, and so, near, near, near your enemy cities, yeah. where it is much more important that you have an encampment, otherwise you might get screwed yeah. over. Um, yeah. and do you so, have walls? Because for the first time ever, walls are important yes. because you, that yes, it requires yes, yes. because units no longer act as defense as the primary sense of defense. Like, yeah. There's and, so much more management. Mm-hmm. And what's really interesting about the 2.2 update for Stellaris, they should call it 3.0 because it's so major. They're calling it 2.2. Is So Stellaris, in its own way, works like the old Civ games in that when you colonize a planet, you have anywhere from about 10 squares to 25 squares maximum. And you can only have one pop per square and the square has either no natural resources, one type of natural resource, or numerous types of natural resources. And you have to decide what buildings you're going to put there, if any, what the pop's going to do, what you're going to focus on. Part of this has to do with playing tall versus playing wide, which you probably know what that means, where playing tall means not having a giant physical empire but being really really powerful and kind of turtling in playing wide is just expansionism Mm -hmm. which is what most people do and while i really really love uh, you know the sort of mindless uh, uh immediate reaction of pleasure of micromanaging all of my pops constantly and improving the buildings over and over again over time it does get a little tedious and you are limited by 25 pops even in the best planets and so the new version they are completely getting rid of this whatsoever and they are essentially doing a, a space version of civ 6 where you can have hundreds of pops 
on the planet, but it's more focused on what's going on on your star bases and your mining stations and other things that are going on in the star system. And you can prioritize, you know, production, food, energy, etc. But you're not micromanaging individual pops on the planet, which I think is great. Now I'm going to do one last run with the current system because I want to do a uh, my I'm doing a race of essentially uh, if if you had Vulcans if you combine Vulcan and Romulans like they're not as evil as Romulans but they're more evil than Vulcans like they're spiritualists but they're militarists they're xenophobic but they are seeking spiritualism so I'm doing one more massive campaign on the biggest galaxy I've ever done with tons of races with this final system just to see where it goes but I am very excited for the consolidation because while I love the micromanagement again what I love about Civ 6 and and you and I are going to play some of this in the future talk about it more is the city and improvement to me is both more realistic and more interesting those are my thoughts go ahead uh-oh did i lose ethan sorry i was muted um with so so with, with earlier civs like you were saying about the realism with earlier civs you kind of had like a set path about how you started the game yes. and then more and more and more and more options open up to you right with civ 6 it's like okay i can do these things but then i won't be able to do these things yeah. or i could do it this way but then i won't be able to do this and that's that's or the, honestly, i can do this and it's hinging it, on the ai doing this or i can do this at the right time yeah, the main two advantages of Stellaris are because of space lanes, it adds a whole new level of strategy and tactics of like which systems and which space lanes you want to control as opposed to just being an open map. But the main thing is the tech tree is way more interesting in Stellaris because you can literally ignore 80% of the tech options for you. But like in Civ, you can't ignore writing. You can't ignore wheels. Like there's certain things early on in the game you have to do at some point. Right. Right. And I, and that's very meditative and I like that and I'm excited to do more. But what I like about Stellaris is nope, no energy weapons. I'm going torpedoes, kinetic weapons. I'm skipping cruisers. I'm going straight to battleships. I'm going to a robot army that are going to be my slaves. I'm going to do gene modification but i'm not gonna like you can literally what's ignore that? so what's much that? my opponent what's that my opponent has 10 kinetic defense oh <laughs> right exactly i have I, an entire slave work. army well you know what's great is one of the statistics for the invading armies is how much um uh um uh, what's the, what's one I'm looking for? Collateral damage they do, and how much they mm-hmm. care about the collateral damage. So you can create a, a slave army that's so powerful that they do unbelievable collateral damage and killing civilians, but don't care at all about it. It's fantastic. Yep. <laughs> so uh, I also got Total War Warhammer, which I don't know if I'm going to keep. I haven't played the full two hours, two weeks yet with Steam, so we'll see if I keep it. Um, but I love I'm loving Stellaris, and I'm very excited to get the new PC rig specifically for Civ 6 because I know it's going to run better. Civ 5 runs smooth as butter on my Mac. Stellaris runs smooth as butter. Civ 6 is a little slow and so I'm excited about that with the new rig. the truly important title that we have to play together is Portal 2. Portal 2 and Doom. Um, Yeah, and Doom. You'll you'll love Doom. So I'm going to tease one thing and then you will finish with news, okay? What I'm going to tease was, guys, if you followed us in the beginning, Ethan and I would play video games together, Zelda Horizon, but I put cameras on us and we broadcast live on YouTube 
and Facebook and sort of do a live video podcast while playing games and talking. And I think we're going to do a more advanced version of that where we'll either hang out at my place or his place and we'll play Civ or Stellaris or, you know, Destiny and we'll talk and we'll, and we'll do a podcast, but we'll also broadcast it live on Facebook and so forth and then release it as a podcast going forward. We also will have, hopefully in the next week or two, another Awkward Controllers episode. So in the meantime, Ethan, I'm giving the final section to you, announcement, news, uh, whatsoever. Go ahead. Just don't take too long because I'm expecting my pizza to arrive in about 10 minutes. <laughs> uh... That was sort of a know. joke, sort of not. But I'm, go ahead, talk I'm, about whatever I'm super, you want. I'm 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 super excited for uh, for some Nintendo games coming out, uh, specifically Smash. Yep. And uh, Pokemon, Pokemon coming out in a oh, month. You I'm didn't answer my question. Excited. If if hmm? I could get one Pokemon game for my 3DS and not break the bank, what should I get? Sun and Moon. Sun and Moon. Which one? Sun or Moon? Uh, either one, just don't get don't, just don't get Ultra Sun or Ultra Moon. Okay. Uh, but if you're actually oh actually, don't get you, Ultra you, Sun you, you or Ultra Moon. Okay. Don't get Ultra Sun. Don't, uh, actually, no, no, don't even bother. Just go, just go play the originals on your DS for seven bucks. No, I have I have console. Pokemon Yellow, um, w- which I, I dig, but I, I you know I do like the nicer graphics. So if I'm going to supplement that with the Moon or Sun, I'm saying which one should I get? I got moon, so just give. Actually, just borrow my moon. I'll just give it to you. Can I borrow moon from you? Yeah, absolutely. Those are to, like th- those are the closest ones to, um, a, like in my opinion, as someone who's played through all the Pokemon games. Yeah. Like moon, sun, and moon are the closest games coming out of like the era of X and Y slash Oraz, uh-huh. where they you just they just give you the game. They like, just yeah. you just steam you just button mash the game. Um, I mean, I love old school Pokemon Yellow. There are just times when I just want nicer graphics, even though I know it's a great game. Well, it's the highest graphics currently, with the exception of the Switch games, uh, which will come out. Um, To catch them all in Sun and Moon, it took me 45 hours. So Okay. Well, that's more than I need. So you'll lend me either Moon or Sun, and we'll, we'll go from there? I have Moon. I'll lend you Moon, yeah. Awesome. Oh, no, we tried that once, and then I couldn't get the save slot. You remember? Oh, right, right, right. Um, I'll, work, I'll figure it out. I'll figure it out. All right, we'll figure it out. I, I really wish they would release all these games for $20. I, I would be likely it's to spend more they're money. So, they're so expensive. It's, I know, just, I, but I'm saying I, I would be willing to spend more money, like $20 a pot. Let me put it this way. I'm more likely, if they were $20 for all these games, I would easily buy four or five of them for $80 or $100 rather than two for $80, if that makes sense. I can lend you my Game Boy and Pokemon Emerald. And that's why it was okay with the Fire Emblem model, where it was 80 bucks for three full games, essentially. Like, that's an okay deal yeah. for me. But to pay $80 or more for two Pokemon games is a little excessive. The thing with Pokemon games is that they are considered perfect, and they just don't drop in price, ever. Nothing drops in price. Speaking of which, a final quick story for me is I was digging through some of my old games and I was like, oh, I wonder if I have any old uh, like a DS games because I'm playing, I'm playing through Chrono Trigger on my DS, which is super fun. And uh, what a deep game, man. I can't believe what they were coming up with way back then. Um, yep. But uh, I, the very first game I bought for my DS when I got it, 
was Grand Theft Auto. Mm-hmm. Um, and it plays great. You would never think on that tiny screen, that tiny thing, that fucking yep. Grand Theft Auto would play great. But it's really fun. The steering is good. There's great story. You know what I mean? Like, it, yeah. it feels like a semi-open world. It's amazing. I, I still think that the original DS is, is the best handheld system of all time. It has the best games. The the feel of opening the, that DS, because I, I have the DS Lite, the feel of the material in the opening, like, cause right. my big, my big 3DS is like kind of shaky. The hinges are a little loose, you know? I, I know the new one that you have is better, but the construction and the feel and the weight and the balancing of that DS Lite or DSi uh, uh, bo- uh, is bo- brilliant. Both the fat, the fat DS and the DS Lite are both great, yeah. DS Lite's fantastic. Yeah, I also, I, I, I like the DS Fat personally. But. Well, I also got um, a couple years back, I hadn't used it in the wild, so the battery was dead, and I got a deal on like two or three because they're very easy to replace the DS uh, batteries. Um, and so I have like I have like two extra batteries just in case because yeah. I got Chrono Trigger, I got some Dragon Quest games I'm gonna play, Grand Theft Auto. Like I I am expecting, even though I've had this thing for ten years, I'm expecting to continue to play the DS. So I'm thrilled. So okay, any last announcements I, uh, or game releases? I, I really want to get a PS Vita, but a suit just to play Persona Four Golden. Yep. But as soon as I get it, I know they're gonna announce a Switch version, so I'm just yeah. not gonna bother. <laughs> and any other game announcements, or are we about done here? Uh no, I think I think I'm actually gonna buy Black Ops Four tonight. <sighs> to be honest or, with you, if you stream it, let me know. I'd love to see some of it. I'm like, I'm like, I just want to play. I'm like, I kind of just want to play Zombies and Blackout. But well, play Zombies and Blackout maybe to get used to the controls and then stream some of the. Oh wait, yeah, there's yeah, no yeah. campaign, so who cares? Yeah. There's no campaign. Okay, all right, buddy. Well, I this wouldn't was, play the campaign anyway. The yeah. Black Ops Three campaign so, was awful. So the <laughs> next podcast we do, that's not an awkward controllers podcast, is going to be the Blood, Sweat, and Pixels book club review. Sure, sure. Yep. Um, and uh, you'll be coming over early next week to set up my rig. Yep. And I want to show you Pillars of Eternity because it's beautiful. And Sounds we're going to check out Civ 6 on the new rig. And I'm excited, man. So thank you for the amazing birthday present in advance. Yep, absolutely. Because I, you know, it's, I, I turned 25 and it's really hard these days. <laughs> I'm a 25 year Just kidding. I'm way older than 25, guys. Um, so uh, thank you, Ethan. Thank you, Bizzlecast listeners. You all have been awesome. Uh, we have been uh, the Bizzle and L, Fedor- L underscore Fedorable, a.k.a. Ethan. We'll be coming back at you soon with more video game topics. But for now, the Bizzlecast is out. Yeah, yeah. Oh, hey.